0: In Canada, I'm your host, Jesse Veteridge, and I've got two guests, uh, joining me today. Chris, this is, uh, the first time you've been on the show. Could you, uh, just, uh, introduce yourself for the, the folks listening?
1: So hi, my name is, uh, Chris. I'm, uh, from, uh, Montreal. And, uh, I, I, you can find me on Twitter at, at Kurotsuki. Uh, I've basically, basically been watching anime for like the longest, as long as I can remember. So it's been a long time. And, um yeah.
0: I understand you have a thing or two to say about idols. I do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh, uh, the past, uh, four years, I've, uh, been traveling to Japan a lot to, uh, uh, attend a lot of, uh, uh, anime idol concerts. I, I'm really too far into that right now. I, I, I wish somebody would save me from that. It's <laughs> called idol hell for a reason. And it's true. It's really hell. It's terrible. Well, Don't I'll do it. it. Don't do k- do
0: it. Well, as I think we all know that that in this fandom, hell isn't necessarily a bad thing. As uh, as I other guest, uh, Dave Merrill, to, or I can attest, I was going to gonna
2: say with the with the idols, those events are called lives, right? Yes, yes. And they talk about lives. That's what they're talking about. Okay, yeah. that's actually really fascinating to me because I, I went to a lot of shows, uh, you know, like concerts and in, in clubs and things when I was mm-hmm. younger and could stay up late and uh there's ever since the music industry collapsed you know uh, bands are like well how on earth do we make money out of this and the japanese uh the japanese model seems to be well you do a concert and then you meet all your fans you sign autographs you sell merchandise and it's this more um curated experience maybe rather than the band just gets up on stage they rock out for 45 minutes and they're gone you never see them again you know so yeah. i kind of like the japanese model i kind of like yeah.
1: that yeah it's a very interesting concept yeah. honestly yeah.
0: Music industry collapse, I think, is very much in quotation marks when you're talking about Japan. They've, uh, they, they've restructured a little bit, but I mean, Tower well, Records was, is Tower thinking, Records still going strong
2: in Japan. Well, Japan is like its own thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, right. it's like
0: a time warp. Uh,
2: it's like, it's still the 80s in many parts of Japan.
0: Oh my God, yes. Which I, which I love. I love, yeah. by the way. I mean, the it's, 80s it's all... worked. Why fix it? So... I, I, <laughs> exactly. Right. But
1: it's exactly how Japan works. Yeah. We don't fix what does what works.
2: Yeah. If it ain't broke, don't fix it.
0: Exactly. Just fax everything all the time.
2: But yeah, I'm Dave Merrill. Um, I live in Toronto now. I'm from Atlanta. I helped start Anime Week in Atlanta. I do an event called Anime Hell at a couple of conventions. Um, I've been, again, like Chris, I've been watching Japanese cartoons as long as I can remember, uh, which probably explains a lot <laughs> about uh, my subsequent life. You can find me on Twitter at Funhouse. Uh, I do a blog called Let's Anime dot blogspot.com and my wife and I uh, have a website called mrkitty.org where we make fun of stupid comics.
0: Mrkitty.org does a number of things, but uh I think stupid comics is is the highlight for sure. I, I
2: think it's that. the most popular the most popular <laughs> yeah. feature. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so this episode is going to be another retrospective on an anime show that has had a unique cultural impact or unique cultural relevance in Canada, and this time uh, we're going to be talking about Goldorak, uh, which is the (laughs) French adaptation of UFO Robo Grandizer, a super robot anime series which first debuted in Japan in 1975 and was developed by Toei Animation and created by Gonagai and his company Dynamic Planning. So this is the second time we're talking about a show that has primarily had an impact in the French-speaking market in Canada, rather than the English-speaking market. It has, the English dub has aired in Canada, but it, uh, was not anywhere near as prominent, um, as the French version, which aired, which, to say the least. So, go, go Guy, just in case you're not familiar, uh, is one of the greatest innovators in anime and manga. Uh, he's known mainly as the creator of Devilman, Cutie Honey, and Mazinger Zed. Not Mazinger Z. Uh, I should, I should emphasize. It's right there in the theme song. Uh, Grendizer, uh as it was originally called was the third installment of the Mazinger franchise it came after Mazinger Z and Great Mazinger um and today from from what i have gathered uh it's not really seen as part of that franchise anymore it's not a a true installment mm-hmm. in the mazinger franchise um and it doesn't really seem to be really be all that remembered in japan uh i know that like in like mazin kaiser and mazinger z infinity and those later kind of revivals it, it seems to be ignored completely they just kind of bypass that. It's all about Mazinger Zit and Great Mazinger and those. And Grandise is just kind of its own thing. But... What Japan thinks of Grindizer is not important, because, uh, <laughs> what that show is most famous for is the enormous impact it has had around the world, specifically in French-speaking territories. Um, it was the first super robot anime that was exported internationally, uh, specifically places to, specifically to places that had never seen super robot anime before, and one of those places was Canada. It aired on Radio Canada, uh, the French version of CBC, uh, in mid-1978, roughly the same time that it started airing on Antenne 2 in France, and uh, Dave Merrill will tell you that 1978 is apparently the most significant year for anime, and this is another I, factoid that adds to that.
2: I make a pretty significant case that it is the most, uh, it's the greatest year of anime, or anime's greatest year, and I don't honestly There's a case to be made for it, but you can also, you can make that case for a lot of other years. So please don't take that as anything other than completely subjective opinion on my part.
0: Interestingly, I think you can make the same case for 1988 and 1998. 1998 is the one I I push for specifically, but I think that's largely a generational thing. Which which year ending in eight do you think is the greatest year of anime? Uh, Well, you know,
2: it's it's good because it's a 40 or 30 or 20 year retrospective. So it's a, a nice... It's a nice bookend, it's a nice uh holding uh, holding point. I do want to point out though, uh Rideen was broadcast on American UHF television in 1976.
0: Oh yeah. So, the, yeah, there was that was that one of the that was one of those subtitled airings in, in It UHF was
2: subtitled,
1: TV.
0: yeah. So, wow.
2: subtitled airing on TV. On yeah. American, yeah, American UHF broadcast television. Yeah, the, wow. the
0: UHF channels had their all- own really unique kind of history with that kind of thing but well, it was only, absolutely yeah. but it was only in specific markets usually in california am i california
2: am I, hawaii I, yeah. uh chicago new york um whoever could and again this was kind of a unlicensed let's just do this and hope no one stops this kind yeah, of thing yeah. <laughs> you
0: know yeah
2: uh i digress
0: Yeah, so that's, that's, you know, that's, that's obviously, that, that is definitely important and notable. The thing about Goldorak on Radio Canada though is that it was nationwide, uh, in Canada. Not, back in 1978, not every city or region got the English and French CBC, but, you know, the most major areas did. And, Um, it was a massive hit. Uh, if you spoke French, you watched it. Um, oh, and, absolutely. And it would continue to be rerun well into the 1990s. Um, the analogy I like to use is that uh, Goldorak is at, as well known to the French-speaking world as Optimus Prime is to the English-speaking world. But that's actually a huge yes. understatement, because it, it really no. seems like Goldorak is bigger than that. Um, and that's even when you consider that Optimus has a, uh, a major Hollywood franchise attached to him now.
1: I was too young to remember, but I, I know that, uh, Goldirack has had like the biggest impact on the French speaking live Um, well, anime community, I would say
2: my understanding that Goldorak uh, being broadcast in France, it achieved a number one, uh, hit, uh, ranking in the ratings. Like yeah. if you had a television in France at that time, it was watching, they were watching Goldorak. Mm-hmm. Like if it was on Goldorak was on that television.
1: I mean, I, I'll just say it, it even goes beyond that. So, um, I grew up both in Canada and also in Benin which is in Africa and even in Africa we would watch Goldorak.
3: Mm.
2: Now was that was that local broadcast television?
1: Yes. That's it would it, it, they would yeah. they would get like uh, the the French version of it obviously but everybody
2: watched it. See, this is absolutely fascinating to me because uh you know I'm an English speaking guy you grow up thinking of English speaking television is like you're just not aware that there's not only uh, francophone television in France, but in Quebec, and there's uh, many, many countries around the world that's yeah. French is the language, and they all need television, and they all need cartoons. And where are those cartoons going to come from? Where, where all cartoons come from, Japan, right? Japan, so, yes.
0: Yes. <laughs> The, the the best cartoons of 1978, that's for certain. So I, I have a bit of a description written out for, for Rock. Did either of you want to kind of give your own take on, on the, just in a nutshell, what the show's about? Well, uh, I can do that, or Chris,
2: you can do it. You want to oh, do ahead. it? Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead, well, uh, there's a, way off in, in the distant galaxy, there's a planet called the Planet Freed, which is attacked by the Vega uh, Empire of evil space people. And uh, Freed is destroyed by the Vegans and the prince of planet freed who's a guy named duke duke freed escapes with the grandizer super robot the ultimate weapon he escapes he makes it to earth where he's adopted by uh, the head of the local space science uh, research institute and he's thinking well i can just live on earth and and everything will be fine i don't need to fight anymore um, i'm just going to live a quiet life but the vagans show up and attack the earth so he's forced to uh Get into the Grandizer Super Robot and defend the Earth. Meanwhile, um, speaking of Mezengar Z, the hero of Mezengar Z, Koji Kabuto, has arrived at the Space Research Institute uh, to test his new flying saucer that he's just designed. And he winds up being a second banana. Uh, he's the sidekick in this yeah. series.
0: He's his, just kind the, of there yeah, most of the he's time. He's just there. Yeah.
2: The, the fascinating thing about it is that because,
1: well, Golderag was, as, as, as you mentioned, the first... Super robot licensed. Yeah, I, I had just, just no to, just idea. Just to point out,
0: we're gonna we're probably gonna be using Grandizer and Goldstar interchangeably. Interchangeably, uh, yeah. please yeah. do. So. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I had no idea what Mazinger's that was, and so to me, Koji was just like that <clears throat> random dude that is of no cons- consequence. Yeah,
0: <laughs> he he was Alcor in the French version. Yes, he was. Yeah. Yes.
2: The 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 dynamic between the two is that uh, Koji is like I'm gonna get out there and blow these guys up. And Duke Fried is like, hold on, let's just relax. Maybe nothing's going to happen. Yeah. Let's be cool about this. And of course, it never, it never, never, never works out that you can be cool about this. Right. You have to go out there and blow the mob. That, like that's Coach what makes. Covedo is. Yeah. yeah, he's this hot-blooded. Got to get out there. You know, he's burning with the fires of justice.
0: Exactly. And I mean, the thing is that in Great Mazinger, they, uh, he, he was more the level-headed character when he did appear. They, um, they, they, they tried to. Every aspect of Great Bazinger, it's like, oh, the new, the new protagonist, he's going to be even more hot-blooded and more hot-blooded and impulsive than even Koji was. But in, uh, if you're looking at Grendizer as like a continuation of that, it's like they're taking a step back. The new character, he is calm, collective, like strumming his guitar while, while looking into the moonlight, uh, very frequently, uh, throughout that series. And Koji is once again more the the hot-headed one. And a lot of the show is focusing on that, that kind of head-butting between them. Uh, and also in that in that respect, I mean, we today we think of uh, super robot shows as as being like over the top, hot blooded um, entities. And uh, Daisuke, or um, what's his uh, what's his French name again? Um, uh, I, 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 Actaris. Actaris. Uh, Actaris. Or, uh, and uh, he he's kind of a contrast to the the prototypical uh, super robot hero some we the, think of today.
2: Some of the material I've read about uh, Grandizer uh duke Fried is supposedly he's a prince he's royalty he's he's got this uh, sort of um uh what's the word he's nobility right he's sort of an elite he's not going to get down and dirty he's he's you know he's been raised a certain way right mm-hmm. so he's got this tragic past that he's trying to, to overcome whereas yeah. koji he doesn't have any tragic past he's here to, to beat people up and of course he does have a tragic yeah. past but yeah
0: um no, so another important aspect of the show is that, um uh, Dukefried or Daisuke or, uh, Akhtaris, whatever you call him, uh, he spends his time, most of his time on the uh, Makiba Ranch. Um, working for, uh, yeah, yeah uh, working for <laughs> uh, Danbei Makiba, who is totally not Danbei Hayami from, uh, Cutie Honey, or Daimon right. Abashiri from Abashiri <laughs> Family. <laughs> uh, he is exactly the same character, only this version, uh, is not a killer and is not super horny all the time. Um, he's probably the least horny version of, uh, of that character. But he's, he's that same, like, little scraggly-looking, uh, short old guy that, if you've seen two, if you've, if you've seen any two Gona guy works, you've seen... This character pop up. Awesome. Uh, so yeah. often. <laughs> And it's kind of funny because, um, Grandizer was bait, was originally started as a short film, uh, that ran during those, uh, those Toei, um, film festivals that, uh, that travel around the country back in, Maga um, Manga Matsuri. Yeah.
1: Was it? Exactly. Oh.
0: It, it, that's how it started. And the, it has the same basic idea, but the characters are all quite different. It's called The Great Battle of the Flying Saucers. And in that one, uh, Grandizer is called the Gun Tiger um Gat, and it's Gat tiger Gat tiger okay. yeah oh. and i i kind of you know conceptually i kind of like the designs in that version a little better but i found it funny that uh that the owner of the ranch the makiba ranch or whatever they called it in that version he's a completely different character design and like but when they went to retool it into to, into grandizer and uh they just figured eh, you know what let's just let's just draw him as this guy we know how to draw this guy so we'll just put him uh put him back in and, uh, I feel
2: like, I feel like Grandizer is a definite improvement over, uh, Uchu Inven Disenso, as they call it. <laughs> it's a little catchier. The great outer space flying disc war. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's a lot, like you can see what they're trying to do, but it never quite works. Like the, the mechanical designs are a little off and everything's a little stiff. Mm-hmm. And when, when Grandizer starts, uh, it's, it's like night and day. It's, it's yeah. got a lot, there's a lot more flow to it.
0: And actually there was one thing, do you think, is there any specific reason you can think of why they went with a, like a rural setting for this? Is it because, you know, alleged UFO sightings tend to happen, happen in like, in, in, in very boring rural areas?
2: You know, honestly, I feel like uh, Grandeisor has the supporting cast, like the uh, Makiba Ranch, uh, Hikaru Goro, um, that whole crew. Yeah. It's a better, Like you could every other show had, well, here's the science center, here's the professor, here's the professor's daughter, here's the other guys battling whatever. And this is like no, it's a ranch. These people are pitching hay all day. Yeah. You know, also also uh Duke Fried has to have somewhere where he can hang hide out and be low key, you know. He wants a he wants a rural life. He wants to get away from outer space and war. And and again it's it's very seventies, he's an antihero. He's almost um He's a Clint Eastwood kind of character, and when I saw Grandizer as part of the Force 5 package. Yeah. Oh,
0: actually, let's, yeah. Maybe, maybe let's yeah, also, maybe we uh, should
2: bring that up.
0: Let's, 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 let's kind of get into how each of us, um, c- came into Grandizer or found Grandizer or Goldrock or what, what have you. And uh, Dave, you've kind of already, uh, you're, you're on that path. So, uh, <laughs> so, continue. so,
2: go ahead. <laughs> there was a package of five different shows, uh, called Force 5 that was packaged to the American syndicated market in 1979. And the shows were uh, Guy King, Getter Robo G, Grandizer, Dangard Ace, and Great Mazinger. And they could not get the rights to Great Mazinger, so uh-huh. they swapped that out with a Matsumoto show, uh, SF Sayuki Starzinger, and which became Space Catiers. Getter Robo G became Starvengers, and everything else more or less got to keep its own name. So uh, this was 130 episodes. So you got twenty six episodes each of Guy King, Starvengers, Grandizer, Dangard Ace, and Space Skateers. And they would just rotate through. And what, through each, was this
0: was this the first twenty six episodes of Grandizer in this? Or did yes, they just kinda of pick and choose?
2: The first twenty six okay. of each show. Yeah. Wait, so wait, you wait. never get to see the uh, yeah, you never get to see the end.
0: Or most of, of the so, show. <laughs> oh, most of the show. This is seventy-four episodes <laughs> of, uh, of super robot action, and I did watch them all to prepare for this podcast. Well, we had, well, like, wait, wait.
1: So, so they just aired like the episodes like in, in actual proper order? Or they
0: did? Yeah. Yes.
1: Interesting.
2: Yeah. So you get the first twenty-six of Guy King, and then next week you'd get you'd start off with episode one of uh, Get a Robo G. Yeah. And I, then when that was over, you'd start off. Or uh, in my market. They would get uh, – this was when I first started watching it. We got an episode of Star Avengers and an episode of Grandizer like okay. every Saturday.
1: Was there any so, kind of reason that they they went with that approach?
2: Well, you needed a certain amount to syndicate television. Like this is – the American television broadcast market in the 70s and 80s and kind of the 90s was if you wanted to syndicate, like you had the networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, the the, the big three. But you also had a lot of independent small television stations around the country, like WGN in New York, WOR, sorry, WGN in Chicago, WOR in New York, WPIX, or every, every market would have two or three independent UHF stations broadcasting at channels 13 and above. Oh. These stations bought their, um, their television programming. They didn't have a network giving them programming. They would buy re-packages of reruns. Uh, packages, they'd have some local programming and they would also buy syndicated programming. So you could get, uh, like Star Trek The Next Generation was a syndicated show that each station in each market would buy. Right. So Jim Terry packaged Force Fives as a syndicated show. You need, I think the limit was 78. Like you need at least 78 episodes for syndication. That way you can run one episode every day and you're not going to cycle through them all. So. <laughs> 26 episodes each you get 100 and what is that 130 you get 130 and that's plenty plenty episodes you're going to cycle through that it's going to take you a long time to cycle through 26 ep- uh, 130 episodes
0: and this version oh. yeah this version Force 5 along with that version of Grandizer it did air uh, in Canada as well uh but it was only i think in like one market in Ontario in the early 80s i uh, i don't know where it was I'm sure, uh, Cameron Archer is like listening to this and yelling the answer.
3: Yeah. <laughs> like it was on right
0: this now. station. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah. I know it, it, it yeah. aired on, um. It was really obscure. It, it uh. What's
2: fascinating yeah. to me is that I, I watched it in Atlanta on W, uh, WANX channel 46 and they would show two episodes of Star Avengers, uh, sorry, two episodes of Force five and then they would show an episode of Star Blazers. And I've got some episodes taped off of Boston television and during the end credits, they have an announcer saying, stay tuned for Star Blazers. So mm. I guess Atlanta was not the only market trying to slot in. Mm. Here's 90 solid minutes of Japanese animation for the kids, you know, yeah, every right. Saturday.
0: Yep. And, uh, yes. Chris, how did you, uh, what's your background with, uh, with Gold
1: Well, as you mentioned, it aired on, uh, Radio Canada in French. So I, I, as a, as, as a kid, I, I, I watched, I used to start, I, I, watched, I started watching it on Radio Canada. And then, uh, we moved to Benin. So I, I, well, when we went to Benin, like, because, uh, Grandizer was, uh, it was part of, uh, well, as far as France is concerned, it it was, um, it was part of a show called, uh, Club Dorothée. And Club Dorothée had the dominion on everything that is Japanese animation in France.
0: Ah. Now, I, I always thought that Club Dorothée was in France only. Was it, did, like, was it packaged along with it in other countries as well?
1: That, so what they would do is they would, uh, uh air part of Club Dorothée on, uh, um, local TV mm-hmm. in Africa. Right, I see. Yeah.
2: What time of day would they broadcast it?
1: Oh, it was definitely in the afternoon after school, uh, school, okay. uh, uh, kids would come back from school.
2: Okay. Yeah. So,
1: so yeah, no, it was, but, but I, I, I vividly remember like watching it and, uh, on Radio Canada. It was, it was amazing because, uh, everybody knew about, uh, well, Golderick. like even parents knew about it because that's yeah. all the kids at school would talk about, you know? And I remember like every, every kid, uh, pretending, that's it, it, a funny thing, like, uh, every kid would pretend to be, well, the robot, you, instead of being the guy who pilots the robot, you know?
2: <laughs> so they would be like, I'm Goldorak.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm and everybody, you. Yeah, exactly, because Goldorak had that, um uh, special attack, which was, um in English called the, the Screw Crusher Punch. Yes. And everybody, every kid would, like, want to do that attack, you know? <laughs>
2: It, it, Did you it, have it really... fights on the playground to see who got to be Goldorak? Obviously,
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> that's the funny thing about this, the older seventy Super Robot shows is that the, the robot was very much a character. Character, uh, yeah. As well, which is what kind of distinguishes it from the, the, the stuff from the 80s and 90s. But mm-hmm. uh, actually, this, this would have been in the 90s. Uh, Yes, that was in the 90s. Early 90s, yeah. Oh, okay. So so
2: we're. This is a a, a show that has been entertaining school children for like 15, 20 years at this point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah.
0: And as Chris highlighted, like, and as we were alluding to before, Goldrack is one of those things where, like, everyone. You could. Like, people will talk about Goldrack. It's something you hear about on. You know, mentioned in, in media or, or pop culture. And when it is referenced, it like everyone knows what it is. It's just completely ubiquitous. That's kind of how I've gathered the, the cultural knowledge of, of, or importance of, of Goldorak is in
2: Quebec. Jesse, in I, I think I mentioned this to you. Uh, the last time we were in Montreal, we went to La Belle et la Beauf. Uh, uh, pardon my pronunciation. Yeah. Uh, they have, they have a Goldorak burger. Yeah.
1: Yes, yes, there's a bunch of bars here, if you go there, they will have a Golderak, uh, team drink.
2: <laughs>
0: oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Alright, well, I gotta come back to Montreal. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
0: there's, it's just, it's just kinda everywhere. Um, oh, yeah. And I, I've, I've experienced, like, some of this stuff secondhand. Um, I, I did see this clip once of, I guess, I think it's from 78 or 79 with these two guys who are dressed as Arcturus and, um oh, and but they're it's this was bef- I think this was still a little before there really were anime conventions at the time, but yes. they're at some kind of skating event, some costume skating oh, event. Really? Um, and they're yeah, their costumes they're mostly made of duct tape, uh, from, from what <laughs> I could observe, and they're actually being interviewed for this old like 70s co- ambush comedy show on Radio Canada that was called The Cockroaches or something, and I I actually saw the the clip. Featured on another more recent uh, crude comedy show from about ten years ago, where they make fun of it even further. So you have that kind of wow. deep dive of cruel humor that get... I, I think you find a lot of on Quebec TV. Yes. <laughs> <But> <laughs> what's, what's,
2: it's fascinating to me coming through Anime fandom from the 80s and 90s when anime was this this tiny little niche niche thing that only weirdos were involved in. You yeah. know, it's like no, 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 these are cartoons for everybody. Everybody loves these cartoons. This is popular culture. Yeah, And it's just it's really it's a relief to find out that there are entire nations that love this these things as much as I did. Yeah.
3: Oh, yeah. And because
2: it was I was 10 when we saw uh Grandizer when Force five was on the air and it was a thing kids watched, But it didn't it was not as big as Battle of the Planets, ah. which is which is Gotcha, man. And that was a, a little bigger. I think that captured the children's imagination a little more
1: but you see that now i'm i'm i find that's what i find really fascinating about grandizer it's like what made grandizer so special for everybody
0: um well that's, a, that's I, an interesting question i'm gonna i'll point out just my background i, I never really had yes. i never saw gold or grandizer basically until i prepared for this podcast my journey through anime fandom uh go nagai he was always just kind of this name I saw plastered on anime a lot, but right. companies like ADV and, and uh and Bandai would always like push the name Go guy presents, and just like no one was able to successfully communicate why he was important. You don't have any reference for that. Exactly. Right. And that's because, you know, guy's work has to have a cultural impact. That's the reason it thrives is when he, he makes makes this work that just surprises people and has this huge huge following out of nowhere. That seems to be how the stuff that he and dynamic planning um develop operate re cutie honey was really the only gona guy thing that i had had gotten into cutie honey was okay. like the first gona guy character i was really familiar with And re cutie honey is awesome i remember when that came out in 2004 and just like at least the 2004 2004 yeah wow. there's a, there's that's new... like
2: three or four iterations of cutie honey too yes <laughs>
0: Um, and Riki, in my opinion, Riku Honey is the best one. Like by far. It's so good. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It hasn't been licensed ever. Unfortunately, I think there's some Has it not? It's never been licensed in in released not wow. in English, which is really wow. unfortunate. They did a Blu ray release in Japan. It looks gorgeous. I think um, it almost looks like it was animated in HD rather than upscale. I can't, I can't really tell, but it looks fantastic. Go, uh, go, go seek that out if you, if you haven't. Cutie Honey was important. That's the thing that communicated to me early on. Is like anime often has boobs and mm. they're often a very important part of many anime, <laughs> but you know, beyond that, Dona guy didn't really, you know, as a figure didn't really grab me until this year when Devilman Crybaby started. Oh. Um, and I think Devilman Crybaby is important because that's, in English-speaking North America, that's really the first time that a Gonaga series has had that kind of impact that makes his work resonate with people and gets interested in his stuff. Because
2: it's it's a work you don't have to have seen anything prior to that.
1: Yeah,
2: right? Exactly. It's, it stands on its own, and yet it maintains the spirit of the original. It doesn't look anything like Go-In-A-Guys artwork, but it
0: maintains that spirit uh, perfectly. Going a guy jumping on points are really rare they're because rare. in in countries where in Japan or other countries where he's had that kind of impact already they're unnecessary because it's like they're like Hanna Barbera cartoons mm-hmm. yeah you don't need a jumping on point for Hanna Barbera you're just inundated with it as a child and even yeah. if you
2: haven't seen the anime you've you've read the manga the exactly. manga Producing manga since 1969, yeah. 68, 67. It's Hanna you know, Barbera. 40, 45 years. Yeah, so it's manga. like Hanna
0: Barbera filled with significantly more violence and, and sex. Uh, <laughs> in that case, um, so when I, I watched Grandizer with that kind of context looming over me, the growing interest in going guy, and I can I can confirm that watching all seventy four episodes to prepare for this podcast was not necessary. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. <not> necessary. <laughs> um, in fact, I think I may have I think I may have done a disservice. To myself, because yeah. watching it in the context of other Go guy work, I, I find it doesn't really stack up uh, that no. well, for, for reasons we might get into a little later, I think. Now, here's the important question.
2: Have you watched seven, 96 episodes of Mazinger Z I have watched
0: uh, some of Mazinger Zed. I have not watched Have you
2: watched one. 52 episodes of Great Mazinger?
0: I have not, no. <laughs> like, I've watched because also you a have to bit, look a at Grandizer yeah. in the context of
2: the super robot world of 1975.
0: Yes, um, at,
2: you can't take it out of that that context. I yeah. think,
0: and and likewise, it's pretty much impossible to c- recreate the the sensation of like seeing Goldorak on TV as a as a French speaker in mm-hmm. like the late seventies, eighties, or early nineties, and like having never seen anything like that before, and having nothing it, else to compare it to. Well, yeah, it, yeah. It, um, it
2: helps to be ten years old. I'm gonna it, say it also say. helps. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a,
0: I, I can't. I can't create that kind of controlled environment, unfortunately, no. for, a, for no, a I, I, capturing I, I, experience.
1: Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think it aged well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> One thing I can say about Grandizer uh, and Goldarac that that you know what supposedly sets this show apart from all other super robot shows is its UFO theme. Yes. Um, if there's anything in the show that can look like a UFO or be shaped like a UFO, it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in my opinion, this is something that drags it down a bit compared to, like, <laughs> even Mazinger Z and Great Mazinger. In previous, like, the mechanical beasts and other enemies, they were always wildly inventive. But in Grandizer, even if they have an awesome idea for an enemy, it has to be like, oh, this, you know, we have to make sure that it, you know, turns into a UFO, too. So Yeah, yeah. Gotta be a saucer. Gotta be a saucer. Yeah. Just in case you forget it comes from space. It comes Yeah, from space, it, so it comes from space. space, so it has to be saucer shaped. It, it's essential. It's like it's a fire-breathing dragon, but you know, a fire-breathing dragon. If it were a UFO, so, made up of little flying
2: saucers that all or stack made up together. Of little,
0: yeah, that's that's about as as innovative as they get. There are some there are some good ones uh, in the show, but they're they're rare, I find.
2: I did go back. I did uh, in preparation for this. I did go back and dig through a few episodes trying to find out. You know, I'll get some characters' names correct, and did I really remember that correctly? Is there really a character whose face splits open and his wife lives yeah. inside of his head and comes out and yells at him for a while and then goes back in and his face
0: comes back together? Like, yeah, that's General Gandalf, or Aminos, yeah. I think he yeah. is in the in the yes. French version. Um, in
2: the English version, he's General Bellicos. That's General oh, okay.
0: Okay. okay. Yeah. Um that is that is a weird character concept for sure. Um I didn't know what to make of make of uh of Gandalf at first when I was watching it. It was like, "Oh, I guess that's his wife who just lives inside of his face." That's his um, wife who lives
2: inside of his face, yes.
0: Yeah, and uh conceptually I think the character's just Gonagai or whoever designed him at Dynamic Planning just wanted a way to to top um, Baron Asherah from (laughs) Yes, yes, Instead of having a split man-woman face, why don't we have the woman pop out of the man's face like a cuckoo clock? (laughs) And obviously they never explain why the character is that way, or they never really even give any context to speculate about it. But now that I think about it, like, we never really learn much about married life for, um... The vegans, For, for, no, for, for no. vegans? Yes. So, like, maybe this is just what happens, that when you get married, the woman shrinks down and goes inside <laughs> of your face. Lives and, in your head. Yeah, it lives inside of your head and just pops out every once in a while. And like, I, like in the in later episodes, uh, we discover that Duke Freed was in love with... Um, the the Vega Lord's daughter. So like maybe if they had consummated her or go, or gotten married, she would have just shrunk down and Shaw gone inside Fried's face, yeah. and, and that would have been um that that would, that would have been how they went on living from there. Um, it is worth pointing out that they start to retool the show a lot around like episode. Uh, incidentally, right when Force Five ended, around episode twenty seven, and they they change it so that Lady Gandol does not. Pop, yes, her like her entire body doesn't pop out. She's just a face under his face, and I don't think there was any plot reason for that, I think they were just having mercy on the animators.
3: I
2: was because... reading, the Wikipedia says that there was an explosion yeah. and Gandalf's face, uh, he had plastic surgery on his face, and that's the result of that surgery. Oh, that
0: is, that is a retcon. <laughs> that is a total retcon. They came up with that, like, like probably after the show had sure. ended. It like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's sure. why it happened. Why not? <laughs> That, that, that's really as crazy and inventive as the villains in, um, in the show get, I find.
2: I will say, watching the show again, what I like about it, I do like the dynamic with the supporting characters. They're funny. Uh, I think uh, Hikaru Makaba, she works well as a, as a Duke-Fried girlfriend, you know, and who knows what's going on with that. Um, I like that Maria Fried shows up halfway through the show. As the sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's like like the space girlfriend, right? It's like,
0: for uh for for or or kind of the uh, know, ambiguous Kogi, space, Kogi girlfriend Kabata, yeah. right. space
2: girlfriend for Koji. Koji space girlfriend, right? Yes.
0: Yeah. And there's also Banta, who is um not boss.
2: Yes. <laughs> oh, yes.
0: Yeah. he's the Mexican boss. The Mexican right. <laughs> Mexican boss. He he completely disappears like yeah. about cuz they they significantly retool the show about About halfway through, there's a a whole period where they're they're kind of refiguring things out and kind of turn it more into a team show. Yeah, Bond just disappears after a certain point. You can't
2: sell a toy of that guy. You got to sell.
0: You have to get more. More vehicles
2: and robots in there to sell more but
0: toys. It's it's interesting to note that Boss does make two appearances along with his his robot, boss Borat, which is important yep. because as we all know, he's the real uh, the real star of the Mazinger franchise. Was,
2: I was um, watching that the Force Five episode of Grandizer with and they do one of those episodes where Boss shows up and they just call him Boss. Yeah and they really. don't explain it. They don't <laughs> this is the thing about watching Grandizer when I was ten. I had never <laughs> seen Mazinger Z.
1: Right, right, exactly. I have Same. no
2: idea who Koji Kabuto was, but like, who is this friend of his? Why does his friend
0: have a robot? What on earth is happening? And they just go with it. You just you just yeah. accept it. And it also the his second appearance basically confirms that he's in love with Koji too, which is <laughs> I, I thought was fantastic. I'm <laughs> um, actually Chris. Chris I'm curious. This is something I was curious about. How did they handle? Do you remember how they handled Boss in the French version? I wasn't able to kind of I wasn't able to decipher that.
1: I would be honest, I do not remember at all. Okay, yeah. they yeah. just call
0: him Boss in Force Five. They just call him yeah.
1: boss. Boss, yeah, no, I, I, I just, I remember him being like Bonta, but
0: Bont, bon, yeah, Bonta, he's the same in like the the French and Japanese version, but Boss, who is the proto Bonta, um, right. he is, he just, he just kind of shows up because they need something to connect it to to Mazinger, and both of those episodes are a lot of fun. I, I found those earlier episodes to be pretty weak, um, with Grandizer overall. Mm-hmm. It takes a while to get up to speed, yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it, it's very like, if I feel like uh, 70s anime where uh, they, they drag on a little bit and then it starts to pick up by like 20, the 20th episode.
3: Yes.
2: Well, because, it's, you know, it's 74 episodes. Yeah. Right. right. But it's right. so long. Thing, it, also,
0: it also, it directly followed, um, Great Mazinger, which yeah. directly followed Mazinger Zed. And, I just found it weird, cause I, I, watching, you know, I, I didn't see all of the, the shows that preceded it. I, I will eventually watch them, but I found that Grandizer lacked a lot of the energy that Mazinger Z had. Like, when you're watching Mazinger Z, um, I mean, okay, it's well known as being, like, the first anime and manga to feature a giant robot being piloted, uh, through a cockpit, like we're all used to now. But what I found really actually made this show unique is that it's completely batshit insane. <laughs> Um I mean it's it's formulaic but it's just brimming with like all this hot bloodedness and it sometimes it feels like the film is gonna burst into flames at any right. second because there's just it's just so so frantic. But Grandizer because you know, we're years later, super robots are now a thing. Mazinger Z, which was I guess was like the sweet, sweet back, badass song of, of super robot shows because like that's the thing that all super robot shows are imitating is Mazinger Zed, whereas black exploitation films are all kind of imitating Sweet Sweetback. That's kind of how I interpret it, at least. Maybe that's not the best analogy. Um, <laughs> no, 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 I think it works. It uh, works. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah but uh, it feels like even though Mazinger Zed is is formulaic, by the time they get to Grendizer, they are very much following a template. Oh, like yeah, I find. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I was actually surprised to learn that they had the same director, too, uh, Tomaru Katsumata, yeah, and he, he's a, some kind of superhuman. He directed Devilman, Cutie Honey, Mazinger Zed, Great Mazinger, UFO Robo Grandizer, Guy King, and at least the Mazinger Zed vs. Devilman movie. Um, oh, which mean, that would mean that at one point he was directing three things at once, which I'm pretty sure is impossible.
2: I'm 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 fairly certain that when you see his name listed as director, yeah. he you know might have like there may be an animation director out there doing the actual yeah. direction. Right. You know, yeah. there's a and there's a big team. There's a there's a large team working on these shows. Yeah. And you can sell. You can tell even within episodes of Grandizer, you can say, well, this one's looking a little better than that one you know they're they're they vary widely in quality from episode to
0: episode yeah you'll hear oftentimes that that UFO Robo Grandizer have I've kind of touched on it was not as popular in Japan and i think a lot of a big reason is because super robot shows had become kind of a little passé at that point oh and, yeah they're all varied by 75 like mm. it was all kind of the same thing pretty much they were all following that same template um but Goldorak when it was brought to french-speaking territories and also you know other other uh spanish and italian as well um like it was like it was jarring no one had seen anything like it it doesn't ha- it didn't have the depth of like robotech but you know <laughs> still if you've never seen anything like like Grendizer before or goldorak it's gonna it's gonna have an impact on you and it's gonna be popular and we were talking about uh the ratings of how how well it did when it aired in in France according to legend or what they say at least is that there was a couple episodes of um you of uh, of Goldorak that got a 100% um rating uh, that in, is that in, is right here yeah yeah wow. um which i didn't think was possible but apparently <laughs> that 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 is uh that is what happened and we were talking about just like these b- pieces of ephemera of Goldorak showing up in like french and quebec culture if you ever see me do a panel before One of my favorite clips to use in any context I can think of was this clip from this like kids variety show that aired on Radio Canada in the, in around 2008 called The Broco Show. It's just these two kids. Singing, singing the old Goldorak theme. So I'm so fascinated by this clip. I, I, Dave, did I did I send you this clip? I'm gonna send it. I think you, you clip did. Yeah. It. Well, it's, send it to me again, please. I will. I love, I, lo- I just love it so much because it it just kind of kind of captures the cultural place of of Goldorak. So well. It's So yeah. ridiculous. And it, and it has kids singing, which is always the best kind of clip to to, to show to people.
1: No, it, it definitely inspired like a lot of people. I I I, I know that I, I remember this French, oh, this Quebec um, music group. That, that did a song, there's like a remix of the, the the Goldrack team.
2: I do feel, I, I feel like European culture in general is a little more, a little more ready to accept, uh, this kind of graphic storytelling. Uh, with uh, the bande dessinée scene in mm-hmm. France and Italy and Germany, and uh, they're they're more accepting. Like in in y- in yes. America, in America and Canada, at least English speaking Canada, comic books are for children. At least they were in the 70s and 80s. They were for kids. They once you got above the age of 10, you shouldn't be reading comic books anymore. End of story. Yeah. Whereas Europe has a tradition of comics for older people for adults and I think uh, maybe they might be a little more accepting of a show like Grandizer
1: maybe there, there's been a bit of resistance regarding in regards to that Not Grandizer specifically but uh when Grandizer started airing um, like a lot of other shows like um Sensei and uh Octono Ken yeah. Uh, got imported to France also, and there's, there's, there's been a lot of censorship in those. Oh
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. My, my understanding is that Goldorak is not, like, there's not a lot of censorship in the, the version that, that ultimately aired there. There's not a lot to no. cut. There's some, there's a little bit of blood here and there. Right. Um, Most of the bad guys are faceless aliens, yeah. so you don't feel yeah. bad for them. Exactly. Yeah, so, and like, the, the DVDs that are out now, like, they are uncut, but they have that same old dub that aired on TV back in the 1970s, which still blows my mind is that the, that they're able to preserve those French dubs yes. and, and put them on bilingual DVDs, which is just unheard of in uh, in the English-speaking market. You do As soon as you do an uncut bilingual release, you have to, to, to read the whole thing. Yes. Um, and I, I, that's what I really like about the French um, preservation. But one thing I noticed, and this is going back to what I was talking about with the theme song, any version of Goldorak, the French version you find floating out th- around there now—at least everything I was able to find—it does not have the same theme song that played when it aired on television in Quebec and France back in the back in the original airing.
1: There, there are two theme songs for yeah. um, Goldorak in French. Yes.
0: Yeah, because there's the the one you'll find now on the DVD releases. It is a dubbed version of the Japanese song, essentially. But uh, when
1: I watched it in the nineties that uh-huh. was the that was a the theme song I knew That
0: was the theme song?
1: That was a the theme song I knew
0: Interesting. When it first aired, it had a different theme song. It was that theme song that the kids in that Clip are are singing. This is this. It it doesn't sound anything like the Japanese theme song. It's completely different.
1: It's, it's less anime song.
0: Yeah. But okay, yeah. He, this song is interesting. I did a little bit of digging into this and there's some things go deep with, with this theme song. Uh, it was originally sung by, um, Noam Kamiel. He's a Israeli children singer who did a lot of work in France. Um, and it was uh, a massive hit. Uh, it was a testament to how popular Golderak was because, like, the single for the, that original theme song that aired on TV in both France and Quebec back in the, in the 70s. Um, it sold four million copies that went four times gold. And a large part of that, of what's why, of why that is, is because the penetration of the show was so high, such as, you know, reaching a hundred percent of the audience, which is, um, a ridiculous rating for any show to get, even back then. Um, and it was one of the first cases in, like, the Western world where it started to become understood how the extreme reach of children's television could be a huge moneymaker for the music used in those programs. And here's the interesting part. Noam Kamiel's producer was uh, this plucky young Saban. go-getter from Israel named Haim Saban. Saban, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, and then after this Gold Rack song became a huge hit, Saban, he went on to work on Ulysses 31 and... And a couple of other, uh, productions in, in French and, and anime co-productions. And then he went on to do American cartoons like He-Man and the Masters of the Universe and a few other things in the 80s. He would eventually move on to like the X-Men cartoon and, you know, ultimately go back to Japanese stuff with Power Rangers, which is what he's well known you, you, for. Um, you know,
1: a little side note about Saban
0: yeah. is, uh, I, I love that guy. There's,
1: uh, <laughs>
0: There's, there's a lot of problems it's, it's, with, a, with with Savan, let me tell you yes <laughs> yeah of course
1: <laughs> it was he was interviewed for a, a French economy t v show uh back in two thousand and four and and the entire interview is it's absolutely fascinating and unfortunately there's there's no it, it, there's no uh English version or subtitle of it but i but i think it, it's it's very interesting to see the way he did the things he did and and how a lot of the like Power Rangers and everything, we we kind of like we all own it to him, and it's just really fascinating to see how he proceeded with those.
2: Always looking for that next number one hit, right? Yeah, yes. Always trying to get that next single.
0: When people are talk, always talk about how music gets replaced in um in anime, and I believe with the actually the original. Goldorak airing, um, it did have the original Japanese music, which was by Shinsuke Kikuchi. It's he's probably, been been, he's better known as yeah. the Dragon Ball Z music guy. Personally, I, I found the music to be a pretty weak, uh, part of, of Grandizer, especially compared to Mazinger. Um, the worst part is that Ichiro Mizuki doesn't do the theme songs. Um, and it's just, it's not the same thing when you don't have that guy see, uh, singing. See, see, I love that Grandizer theme. Yeah.
2: I, I do love it. When they broadcast Force 5, they used, for the opening credits, they used the original Japanese music, just, uh, they took out all the audit, the, the vocal tracks. Yeah. Oh. So it's just an instrumental. Mm-hmm. And I, I was in, I was in, uh, grade six at the time and I was in the band and I played trumpet and I was trying to play the, uh, parts of that Grandizer theme song on the, my trumpet. I, li- I liked it so much. I think it's got a lot of, uh, a lot of punch to it. Oh, absolutely. It's a good song. Um, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, but, you know, it's a really good song. Yeah.
0: But, yeah, so, but, I mean, the original, that original French dub, it still used the same music. And Albatore, a year later, did replace the, the, it's the music. theme song? It, yeah. its, it's whole background music. One thing that really goes unappreciated or unmentioned a lot is that a big reason why music gets replaced isn't because the shows recut so much. Um, a big reason is because of royalties. Because when you exactly a the music yeah. and and spread it around, you you pick up royalties, and that's that's kind of Chaim Saban's whole thing as his claim to fame. And it, yes. it kind of started here with that huge Goldorak hit and uh, the observation of how far children's television can 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 penetrate when it's on television. So I, I found that really interesting, and in a way, it shows how even even though the like the direct success of Goldorak in French speaking markets didn't carry over to English-speaking markets, it still influenced the English-speaking market in so many ways, just not quite as directly. Maybe we'll just kind of step through the show itself. Obviously, there's not a whole lot to summarize when it comes to <laughs> uh, to uh, to grandizer. Uh, or it it or was
1: it at. was very villain of the week. It is I ex-
2: feel like if if you want the grandizer experience, there's a short one of those manga matsuri films called uh, Grandizer versus Great Mazinger.
3: Yeah, yes. yes.
2: and it's 25 minutes long. You don't need to have ever seen any either, Grandizer or Great Mazinger. Great Mazinger, yeah. It's nicely animated.
0: You're in and out in 25 minutes. Yeah, Uh, it's got a lot of explosions. Yeah, that that said, I mean there there are a lot of there are a few standout episodes in in, uh, in Grandizer. But, I mean, I had to watch all 74 episodes to find them. I, I I mean, I'm tempted to say, like, oh, I could pick out, like, the 12 best episodes of, uh, of Grandizer. You can just watch those. But, I mean, those are my, those would be, like, my top 12. Yeah. And if I had followed someone else's list, like, I would have, I would have missed out on some of the episodes that I enjoyed uh, a lot. But even then, they're not, you know, they don't stand out as much as a lot of those Mazinger Zed or, or, or earlier episodes. Like, if you're a hardcore, um, Super Robot fan, you've probably already watched this show. If it's something you're just kind of getting into, maybe this isn't... There are a lot of shows I'd recommend before Grandizer, I think.
2: Well, um, you know, no one has to commit to seeing every all 74 no. episodes. You can watch uh, an episode here and an episode there when you want to see some Super Robot action. You know, there's not a commitment. I don't want to make people think yeah. that this is something they have to buckle in for, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Um, I, I will say, like the like the early episodes, like the first twenty five episodes or so, um, I find they they are very repetitive. Um, I I, I kind of found those ones harder to get through. Um, the show got more interesting, um, kind of uh, around I think episode twenty three when Hikaru or Venusia, Vin- 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 uh, she was in the French version, she finds out about Daisuke's identity because his 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 identity is a secret from everyone at first, and then it right gradually people. F- find out it's hard to keep track of who knows at uh, at certain points
1: um, It's just like batman
0: yeah yeah it's, exactly. it's very much well and this
2: is a, another thing that i think uh you know he had the secret identity uh he shouts his name and his his uniform comes together yeah. there are different exits for the grandizer saucer to go out of it's usually route, on it's usually route seven <laughs> Most Usually of the time. time, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, there's this great transformation i don't say transformation, but it's this combination sequence where he goes in and out of the saucer you know it it's yeah. got like all these trappings, these pseudo scientific trappings of the super robot genre yeah. and this is the kind of thing that you really like when you're ten or seven is you want to see that that transformation every week mm-hmm. you want to see him go down down the, the Leap, get in yeah. his little rocket sled, go through it, that tube, I love that in animation. the air. I love that Yeah, yeah, it's His country yeah, animation. Yeah, it's There's
0: great. this great, it's great kind of rotating shot when he's running out a hallway. He jumps to the chute, jumps on this little bike, and then transforms. I can hear he the music. Creed, right? And then yeah, enters yeah, the, yeah. the cockpit. It's that, that bit of animation is so great. When you see stuff like that. Like, you really get a sense of why this show resonated or was such a big deal for people outside of Japan when it did air. Because that looks mm-hmm. phenomenal for something from, like, 1975, it's, 1976. I love everything yeah, about it. It's, I, I think yeah. it's terrific. It's, it's, but, it's
1: really well-animated.
0: Yeah. But I, I guess kind of as I touched on before, when you're looking at the show itself, it kind of transitions in the beginning as this really formulaic show. You get a lot of the show kind of trying to reinvent itself in the middle. They're, they're introducing all the spacers, um, which are like the, the accessories that attach to to around. That is
2: that is well known mm. as the mid season power up. Yeah.
0: Yes, um, and every giant robot show has it. Yeah, but you're halfway through and you get a new weapon or yeah, a new attack. But it's not it's not just they don't just introduce the new weapon there's all this testing that's going on in yeah, those middle yeah. episodes going to spin grandizer around as much as we can and figure out how he can precisely attach to these things and 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 eliminate weaknesses i i found it kind of interesting but it got it got repetitive but around episode like the halfway point everyone gets redesigned too um suddenly everyone has a popped collar and uh or they look they look very <laughs> retro <laughs> uh retro space outfit <laughs> <laughs> which I found kind of funny. I was uh, sad that Hikaru uh, lost her like her, her cute um her cute rancher hat halfway through, but um she did get a, a blood transfusion from Daisuke which permitted her to become useful to the main story and uh, and pilot the uh, the double spacer, the flying one herself right. as well. And then that culminates when uh when Duke's sister Maria Flea uh, joins up with them and they become it beca- it becomes a team show at that point. You have the the Grendizer slash Golderak, the three spacers, which um all connect in different ways. Um I'm curious, I, I know you guys have seen varying portions of the show. I don't think anyone's I think I'm the only one who watched the whole thing recently, but how do you feel the show yeah, the direction it went in, how it how it evolved? I think Dave kind of implied he likes the earlier Parts better than that. What I do
2: like about the later part of the show is I, I want to say it's Shingo Araki doing character designs, mm-hmm. and I really, really, really like his character designs. It you know he worked on Rosa Versailles. There's this uh, this delicacy to the characters that is completely at odds with a go guy. What a go a guy thing looks like. So it's getting a little more baroque, a little more detailed, maybe a little a little more feminine, a little more feminized to our eyes, mm. but it
0: works. It works really well, I think. Daisuke is like considerably prettied up.
3: Um, yeah. like yeah.
0: going from that original movie to the manga. The manga is interesting. It's very short. It's only like 5 chapters and the last chapter oh, really? just, yeah, the the last chapter just goes for broke with all the like child mutilation that we expect from from Gonegai too. <laughs> but Guy, <laughs> yes. And then and then <laughs> Daisuke is uh, is prettied up even more in the anime and then more as it goes along. It's, it's got, kind of, I understand he was very popular in, um, in, in female doujin circles. Exactly. Uh, uh, yeah.
1: I mean, long hair, pretty eyes, yeah. obviously, yeah. Hey,
2: look at Saint Seiya, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's, uh, that's, uh, very popular with the ladies. Yeah.
0: And, and Chris, what, what, what do you feel about the direction? Which portion of the show do you think?
2: Works Honestly. Best? I,
1: I, I like the, the, the first part better yeah. because as, uh, when I watched it, I was like, what, um, six, seven years old. Uh, Monster of the Week was amazing to me. Yeah. Monster of the Week is the most, is the most amazing concept you could.
0: It's always Monster of the Week, but. <laughs> yes. Uh, this yeah. is what
2: kids want to see. Yeah. They want to see
1: like, no, exactly. how the monster <laughs> going
0: to come out, you know? But,
1: okay. but a Monster of the Week that, that doesn't have like a, a more complex plot. You know, it's just like every, every week there's a new monster. It's like, oh, just, we got to defend ourselves, you know?
0: So, get, getting a little more specific, are there any episodes, specific episodes that you remember or uh, or really stand out to you?
1: Honestly, yeah. if I had to say, I would say the death of um, I forget her name in Japanese uh, uh Vegalia, the, the daughter of Vega. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Near the end. Near uh, the end. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was a good, remember, that was a good one. Yeah,
1: that was really sad as a, as a kid. That that really it marked me, you know.
2: Wow. Yeah, you can kind of see why uh, Force Five only did the first twenty-six of each <laughs> of these shows because the the climax of these shows generally involves uh, Love, some death. death? Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, actually, if it, if Force Five cut out at twenty-six, I think that would have been right before the first general, um, who who in the Japanese version is called Blackie. Uh, I think in the uh <laughs> uh or I I mean may, maybe we can we can err on the side of caution and, and uh, Romanize that as Bracky. Um he's H- uh, Hydargos high Dargos in the in the French version. I'm not sure what he was in Force five. Is um, he the guy with the big head? Yeah, the pointy head.
2: Yeah, I think he's Commander Ding, I think yeah. that's what they call him. Anyway, he he,
0: he has a quite a memorable and kind of horrific death sequence in episode, I think, twenty seven. Um it was a, which was a great episode. Um, but I, I can I could see it cutting short right before there. I think there was a little little more blood than usual in that one. Anyway, since I I, I watched the whole thing recently, so if there's nothing else, I could uh, I could show for it. It's I can highlight some of my specific favorite episodes within the breadth of 74 episodes. Grandizer has a lot is very reliant on recycled plots. Um, in fact, the the one Chris mentioned um, that is. One of multiple episodes where a former lover of 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 Duke Fried's is is being controlled and has to uh, and is is being conflicted between uh, how they felt about him and having to stab him in the back. Or I, I think there was a, a couple more episodes where it's just conflicted former friends of Duke Fried being sent back uh, by the vegans to to take him out. So you're you're getting that repeated a few times. There are frequent episodes where the where the vegans try to, or vegans try to uh, exploit some kind of natural resource. Or phenomenon in order to provoke mass destruction on Earth. Um, I think they use earthquakes, flooding, snowstorms, uh, sunspots—basically anything you can think of. Uh, there's an episode about it in in Grendizer. Um, but there's one uh, type of episode that was used frequently, but I think not frequently enough, and that is episodes that involved exploding animals. Oh, which happens a couple oh. times. There's there's this great episode where they they all go to like a, a water park. And there are like these animatronic sharks that are being sent out against people, but Koji gets control of the the sharks, and uh he uses them first he chases people out to evacuate the area and then he you know, he doesn't need the sharks anymore, so he just blows them up and there's this fantastic animation of these sharks exploding that I will never forget as long as i live <laughs> and there's it's, there's another uh, episode yeah. there's another episode later on where um the vegans use exploding swans to uh to, to, <laughs> <laughs> it it start. the episode starts out with this unbelievable sequence where two guys driving a train and then suddenly they see this swan coming and it crashes into the front windshield it explodes and the entire train just flies off and derails it's oh, unreal um and i think we needed more of that <laughs> In Grandizer, more exploding animals. <laughs> Apart from that, um, there's a great Christmas episode early on. It's a pretty strong take on the whole Little Match Girl story. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I found that one pretty sweet. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, I think the like technically best episode it was episode 44 uh, is what I have written down here. Um, about this young man who's investigating past alien activity on Earth, and he actually gets killed. But his sister winds up willingly getting herself like possessed by this um by some kind of weapon i can 't remember exactly what it was, and she actually becomes the main enemy at the end of the episode oh. um, they actually they they actually kill off the general um who they're fighting against he's, he's he's killed halfway through the episode, and the rest of the episode just focuses on her story and her uh and her twisted kind of kind of revenge it was really surprising um it breaks the grandizer format a lot uh it has some of the most interesting a- um enemies as well um they they don't they they're actually one of the only robots that don't follow a UFO theme they're like these robotic wolves that they fight against and they all right. like uh, attack as a pack that really stood out for me I do know interestingly of them. this yeah i looked at the director it was directed by Hiroshi Sh- uh, Shidara who is the uh, he directed Candy Candy uh, oh great Wow. Yeah. That was a kind of a standout episode right there. But yeah, for the most part, the show, the show's pretty, uh, it, it's fairly repetitive. Um, but, you know, there's a few, when you, when you dig through the whole thing, there's a, a few that stand out. But, of course, nobody, nobody should actually be expected to sit through the whole thing to find, to, to find their, their favorite, their favorite episodes or episodes they may never be exposed to otherwise. But, I mean, I guess that's commercial art for you. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Yeah. See, yeah, see, earlier you mentioned that we don't really care what Japan thinks about Grandizer But personally, mm-hmm. I, I I wish Japan would care more about it So they would do, make a remake of Grandizer well, A more there's, modern there's remake There's a
2: manga right now, or, or recently, called yeah. Grandizer Giga Really? Which is, yes. I, I want to say, an updating It's sort of a reboot Okay, you should Grandizer. look into that
0: I was reading about it. Apparently, they disconnect Grendizer from the Mazinger franchise. Okay. But in, in doing that, they instead, or Gonagai instead connects it to Cutie Honey. Apparently mm-hmm. he changes it so that, uh, Danbei is literally the same character as, mm-hmm. uh, the Donbei from, from Cutie Honey. They're the same family. And Hikaru is actually turns out to be Cutie Honey. Uh, <laughs> in that version. <laughs> I mean, I guess I just spoiled that. That but... doesn't
2: make any sense at all
0: it it makes even less sense <laughs> like why why wow. would you why would you ostensibly he's trying to to turn Grindizer into more of a a little thing which is apparently what he wanted he wanted Grindizer to be um a new franchise but uh toei wanted uh, to continue mazinger and like the the trade off was that koji would be uh, a side character in it um and uh so you know, in a way he's kind of bringing it back to what how he wanted it to be to begin with, but he still ties it to another franchise because apparently he just guy just can't resist doing that <laughs> at all. Um Oh, on that note, there was one other thing I wanted to address. Um Dave, you can probably explain how dynamic planning works a little better. But my understanding is that whenever guy creates something, it's always in collaboration with his company, Dynamic Planning. Um because he doesn't just make manga, he makes they develop properties um, that are intended to be toys, that are intended to be TV shows, that are intended to be manga from the beginning. They kind of collaborate on the concept, and then guy kind of just goes off and does his manga version, gets it published a couple months before the TV show starts to make it look like the show is based on the manga. But everything just kind of um, it's marketing that way. Is, marketing that, is, that, is that correct? Synergy. My
2: understanding yeah. is that when he created uh Gakuin back in mm-hmm. sixty nine, seventy. Yeah. They made a television show out of that. They made like six movies out of that. He didn't yeah. get a nickel. Exactly. And yeah. he's like That's Whoa, that is not how this needs to be. So he got together with his his brother, several of his brothers. He, I don't yeah. know how many brothers he's got. They're all working oh. for him now. Anyway, he he created dynamic production to uh basically Legally control all of his properties. So, Mazinger Z was owned by Dynamic Productions, and if Toei wanted to make a TV show out of Mazinger Z, they'd have to go through Dynamic Productions. Since then, he'd been able to keep control of his own works,
0: mm-hmm. and Ooh.
2: it's it's worked out uh, really well for him, I think. Yep.
0: <laughs> to and, to put it mildly. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was the whole. And again, this is something you probably know about, but I was reading that. Toei apparently, with Goldorak, had sold the rights internationally without the, um, permission of Dynamic Productions or Dynamic Planning. Um, I wasn't able to find any resource on that, but it does make sense because the time that they would have done that was the time when there was a breakdown in relationship between Toei and Dynamic Planning due to Guy King. That's correct. Um, cause, uh, Dave, so what, what happened was Guy King was created by Gona Guy but Toei didn't want to pay him for it so they basically just didn't credit him as creator and that basically destroyed their relationship until about 1990 early I 90s.
2: I, I never can tell whether because what the Guy King we got is pretty far removed like the the Gona Guy elements um, I don't know how many of those are left yeah because it it kind of goes off and does its own thing you know it's I mean, pretty obviously its own
0: show you could say the same about grandizer well <laughs> like I, I i think it's very it seems very much like he put a few concepts in that manga version and just like yeah well, you, you know you guys figure out the rest there's a lot of that manga he didn't draw
2: you yeah. know i mean yeah. because it's a dynamic pro thing but yeah the, the relations between well you know that's the thing about a lot of toei's late 70s or mid 70s properties like candy candy right we haven't seen any candy candy in a long time because of the rights issue between the author and the artist. They're, they're oh. sort of conflicting claims. And Toei's like, I don't want any part of this, <laughs> you know. The, the, the bad publicity I think outweighs any, any, uh, chance of profit. They, they don't want a chance bad publicity.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, my, what, what I was able to piece together, and this is probably very wrong, but it seems that, you know, there was that dispute between Gonagai and Toei yeah. over Guy King and it was like in that kind of whole mess and conflict Toei went ahead and sold the rights internationally for uh, for Grandizer which became Goldorak uh, thereby making history <laughs> in so much of the world but this move wasn't actually authorized by dynamic planning. I, I, I don't know how much truth there is to that but I was also reading that dynamic planning set up um, their own distribution, comp- uh, or, or rather set itself up as a distribution company in Italy and France and other European countries in, you know, around 93, 94, when um, they were kind of re-strategizing and oh, yeah, the, yeah. the relationship had kind of thawed out. Um, so, you know, I, I get the impression that if, if you asked Gona Guy now what he thought of Toei, Selling the rights internationally to his property, he'd probably say it was really great. Somehow, I don't think that may, that was his opinion at the time. Because, yeah, probably, um, no. <laughs> it's, it's kind of hard to say. Uh, anyway, that, that is a bit of hearsay. I wasn't able to, to dig as deeply into that as I had I had hoped. But apparently, I, there were, there, know, were some, there was some messy legal stuff going on at that time.
2: I do know when uh, there were some negotiations involving Captain Harlock in the early nineties, where the rights to publish Captain Harlock comics, original Captain Harlock comics in America were purchased from someone that did not actually have the rights.
0: Oh, so there who knows who you're talking to, right? You know. Yeah. Goldorak today, like the French version, it seems to be kind of I don't know, Chris, what would you say? Do you think that Goldorak with how, you know, big and popular it is in Quebec? In other French-speaking areas, do you think it factors into the modern anime fandom at all, or do you think it is something that's kind of divorced from all of that?
1: I think it's. Uh, I, I would say that's uh, probably divorced because yeah. um uh the new generation. I mean, I, I based it on the new generation of uh of anime um fans, and and I, and I would say uh, because Gold Gold kind of stopped airing after the nineties, right? Yeah. And uh, Radio Canada kind of stopped airing anime. And and it just never found the success it had again. I I remember they briefly tried to air Dragon Ball at some point and it just, it never picked up. Actually, they never finished airing that show. So the new generation of anime fans just, they probably don't even know about Goldorak.
2: So there's no, there's no, um, there's no impetus in the anime fandom, the French speaking anime fandom to try to learn about what happened. Like older anime, classic anime, there's no interest in anything before the 90s?
1: As far as Canada is concerned, not really.
2: Interesting.
0: I I think it's a little different in France, maybe.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and and France is very much different because uh, anime is so big there, you know. Anime and manga, is they're they're such like a – it's like they're part of the culture, you know.
0: Yeah. But it's, it's kind of sad because it was, it was just as big in Quebec. It was. Uh, back, back in the 80s and early 90s, but it just stopped. I mean, the big I, reason is because Radio Canada stopped airing it.
1: Exactly. I mean, people yeah. haven't forgotten about Golderac. Like, by generation, we have not forgotten about it. Actually, even recently in Montreal, uh, uh, somebody did like a huge graffiti of, uh, Golderac on the a, nice. a wall. It, it's, it's, it's amazing. So somebody took a uh, a video of it. Like I, I could send it to you later. But, uh, oh yeah, yeah, like I'd, I'd love
0: that. to see Definitely. that. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: but uh, yeah. So so my generation, we've not forgotten about Al Although I I did find cases of well friends who've I'd never heard of it before. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, yeah. So so the generation after me, they 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 that fortunate, but they don't know about it.
0: Wow. Yeah. Um, and I understand now, could could you paint a little bit of a picture of what anime fandom is is like in, like, French-speaking, uh, parts of Quebec now? I understand that a lot of people watch, um, just watch English Crunchyroll subs. Crunchyroll. Yeah, well. yeah.
1: Crunchyroll is really big here.
0: I, I think they have some stuff in French, but a lot they of. They have stuff English. in French,
1: but it's just so much more convenient to just watch it in English.
0: <laughs> yeah. The impression I get is that French-Canadian fandom, it's kind of around the periphery of. The current English language fandom rather than being its own distinct thing. Does that make sense?
1: So, so, yeah. So, so I think one of the things that happened at some point is that, uh, because, uh, all the, the the French, oh, the French, uh, TV channels that would be aimed at younger generation just never aired any Japanese anime cartoons. And if you wanted to watch them, you would have to watch them on YTV. Yeah. YTV had all the animes. So, if you were interested in that kind of animation, you would just watch it in English.
0: Uh, if okay. you
1: didn't speak English, you just watch it in English and gradually learn English.
0: Yeah, not not every area, not every cable package in Quebec got YTV. From what I know,
1: too, no, yeah, not no.
0: That was a but, very very have and have not kind of uh, kind of situation through the two thousands and to today to an extent it seems
1: that that said i i don't believe i've met anybody who had not, didn't have watched white tv
2: mm-hmm. well here's here's the uh the question i have for you right now what are the 10 year olds in friend, in quebec what are they watching now if they're not watching japanese cartoons
1: oh they my niece watches peppa pig
2: okay yeah yeah that's about how it is yeah yeah, yeah. Peppa Pig or Paw Patrol? That's yes. uh, yeah. I was just gonna say yes. the big one. all children watch Paw Patrol, yes. Yes. So I think in 30 years there's going to be a podcast of people talking about Paw Patrol. Yes. So or whatever they'll whatever they
0: do instead of podcasting.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. Remember 30 years ago that thing? Yeah. yeah
2: what was that called? <laughs>
0: okay. With, with that said, uh do you guys think that? When you're looking specifically at UFO Robo Grandizer or Goldorak, is this something that people now should go back and check out? Or, or is it not really important outside of nostalgia or historical context? I, I I don't
1: think uh, Grandizer aged well. Mm-hmm. So I, I wouldn't say, besides, besides the nostalgia factor, I, I wouldn't Recommend anybody who didn't watch it before to go and watch it.
2: I feel like if, um, you like Super Robots from the 70s, if you enjoyed Get a Robo and you enjoyed Mazinger Z or Guy King, uh, you should watch some Grandizer. Why not? Go for it. But, you know, you don't have to watch all 74 episodes. No, uh,
1: absolutely absolutely not.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm kind of debating how I'm going to handle the Candy Candy podcast because that show is 115 episodes. No, you got to watch that whole thing, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's what I understand. It's okay. I know it's good. I'm looking forward to it. It to is. It. It's really good. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. You know what? I've I, I, with just what I've experienced with with Grandizer and and some of the related properties. I it's a it's definitely a curiosity. I'm more interested in Goldorak as a cultural phenomenon than I am in the show itself. You right. it's right. feel like kind that of thing. has
2: interest above and beyond just being a super robot show. Yeah. It's a big part of the cultural identity of
0: exactly
2: of uh, Quebec in that era.
0: Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, you got to
2: watch a little bit of
0: it yeah, to to yeah. fully
2: understand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you well, don't you have to watch the, the thing. whole thing. You can see a graphic of the Six Million Dollar Man and understand what the Six Million Dollar Man is and enjoy it for what it is without having to watch an episode of the Six Million Dollar Man, right. which is a terrible, terrible, terrible television show <laughs> that I loved. I loved it as a kid, but you got to watch
0: the Sasquatch two-parter. At least.
2: Yeah, exactly, and that's how you'll know it's terrible
0: <laughs> <scary. laughs> because <laughs> it's super um, I don't know. May, maybe I'll include a, a list of of some of my recommended yeah, please episodes do. Please, please, yes, uh, yes, on this, and yeah. uh, and people can, people can ch- can check those out. Remember, it's not a definitive list of or these episodes are not filled or The rest is a waste of your time. It's just it'll be my recommendation, my recommendation. None of this episodes.
2: stuff. You know, that, that's what, actually what I kind yeah. of ir- irritates me about fandom right now is that it's run by these obsessive compulsives that demand that like this is the list. You have to see these episodes. Yeah. You can't. You don't have to see these. It's like just fuck
0: go out and follow your bliss guys just yep. enjoy it find new things enjoy yourself <laughs> just to turn it around a little bit uh, if we're looking specifically at going a guy dynamic planet stuff in general what what would your recommendations be for what you've seen
2: just of animated go a guy works in general yeah yeah uh, the 1980 what is that 87 88 89 devilman OVAs yeah. are like right in my sweet spot They've got that uh, great K. Kazuo character designs. The animation is great. They don't finish the story, but who cares? Uh, I really you can like buy those. the manga now. You can it's, buy the uh, manga. Well, you can buy the yeah. original Devilman manga. Hmm. Um, I like. I'm uh, gonna say I like Getter Robo G Man. I'm gonna gonna stand <laughs> for Getter Robo G. That has the best designed robots. Adolf Hitler is one of the bad guys. Uh can't go wrong. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Uh as far as I'm concerned. So so the funny thing is uh uh I I started my journey with uh the Mecha genre with uh Grandizer, so the super robot genre. But along the way I I fell in love with the real robot genre mm, Yeah and
0: eighties, nineties stuff more.
1: Yes. Yeah. And and I would say that the Go Nagai animation work that reconciled me with uh Super Robot uh is uh Shane Mazinger
2: Yep, mm. yep, 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 uh, go and, for that. yep.
1: Yep. And, and I and I absolutely recommend everybody to watch that one.
0: That's Imagawa, right?
1: It is. Yeah.
0: So Imagawa who he, he wrote the manifesto on on super robot nostalgia pretty much. I yes.
2: guarantee I guarantee you will enjoy everything that man has ever done. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's that's actually what, one one argument I like to make is that Imagawa, he did um basically uh G-Gundam. G-Gundam, yes. G-Gundam and, uh, and Giant Robo, OVAs from the 90s. Um, he basically invented what, he invented the nostalgia of the super robot and everything we think about it. And I find that Grant Grandizer doesn't fit into what he's created. No, 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 no. Yeah. And I think (laughs) that, that's, that's kind of why it looks like an odd duck when you look back.
2: I'm going to tell you this right now about Giant Robo, and this is completely off, off course. I was ready to walk away from Japanese cartoons. Wow. And I got Giant Robo, the first OVA, in the mail. Someone taped it and sent me a copy, and I put it in and watched it, and just fell in love with Japanese cartoons all over again. Wow, Dave, uh, what soured you? <laughs> well, it was 1980, whatever, right? I mean, it was 1990. It
3: yeah. mm-hmm.
2: was so much terrible. Uh, it was just just boring, uninteresting.
0: You know, and it was mostly me getting to be 20 years old. You know, it's like right. I have other things to go do. And I'm just gonna recommend Re Cutie Honey again. I think right. it's I think it's the best. <laughs> it's pretty great. It's pretty and Devilman Crybaby. Uh, Devilman Man Crybaby Devil Cry is great too. The Devil Man OVAs are, are a lot of fun. It's despite the fact that it adapts the first two volumes of the manga, I find it's not a really a good introduction to Devil Man because it's kind of it just takes up time so much and just oh, languishes yeah. in every detail. It's like it's expecting that you've read this yeah. already. But yeah, Devil May Cry Baby, great, great way to get introduced to it. And uh the original Mazinger's Ed, I think is a is a good time. I haven't watched all ninety two episodes, but yeah, man, uh that, that that uh that uh Jet Scrander song has to be the uh one of the finest pieces of music produced in the nineteen seventies. It is <laughs> it is a terrific piece of music. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that wraps us up uh, for this episode. Can you just re- say again where uh, people can find you online?
1: Uh, so, again, uh, my name is Chris, and you can find me at uh, at Kurotsuki on Twitter.
2: And I'm Dave Merrill. You can find me at Terabee Funhouse on Twitter or mrkitty.org. and that's Mr.
0: spelled out. And uh, thanks for tuning into in Canada. You can reach me on Twitter at jbetteridge. Or email zonandcanada at gmail.com. The theme song is by Ultraclystron and can be found on his album Packet Flood, uh, which you can find at ultraclystron.com. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or your podcast app of choice, and leave a rating or review if you have a chance. It really helps with uh, the visibility for the show, especially on Apple. If you know anyone who might like this show, please recommend it to them. See you again.
3: くくれないの翼 mono I'm sorry, i mono